This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Erica Comasar is a New York City psychoanalyst who is not afraid to be controversial. She recently wrote that the decline in religion in America is one of the most important explanations of the increase in anxiety and depression in children and teens. She, she listed that. And she said, she cited research that has shown that there's a psychological well-being that's higher in children and teens who attend at least one religious service per week. And what is learned there, she said the values that are learned in church in a, what she called a religious identity. She's Jewish. She called it a religious identity, probably related to me. She's um, religious identity, she said, is the fact that in, in church they learn community, they learn empathy, they learn gratitude. She said, and those are such a great antidote for the lonely, disconnected, individualistic culture that we're now living in. That was fascinating. That this, this wasn't funded by the Southern Baptists or the Assemblies of God. This is the Jewish New York City psychoanalyst that's saying, our moving away from God has caused an increase in our kids and, and our teens being depressed and anxious. Of course, she's, she's not afraid to be controversial, but she's right. Life is not without sadness. This year, I experienced deaths in my own personal family. I buried my father. This year, I've had friends who took a, a negative turn and pretty much ruined the relationship. Not even to mention the losses that, as a pastor, you, you feel the losses of families in the church as they lose, lose loved ones in the past two months. I've, I've done funeral services for two close friends. Both of them surprised me. So life is, is not without sadness, but here's what I have learned. I've learned that connected with God, the sadness in life doesn't have to be overwhelming. It can be temporary. And so this morning, I, I want to talk about that, that temporariness of life, the temporariness of, of sadness, that sadness does not have to overwhelm you and swallow you up in life, that it can be temporary. So I've entitled this message, How Long Sad? Now, we experience and understand that during the Christmas season especially, it's a time when emotions just, man, they go on a rampage. Although the old song said, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Whoever wrote that had never been trying to drive around the Woodlands Mall. <laughs> I was out driving on, on Friday, and I don't know, is it just me or does the people seem like they're, they're rushed. And I'm watching people, man, they're darting in and out of lanes. They're driving fast. And I thought, this is bad. I drive like this year round, but it's scary when everybody else is. <laughs> so it was, tis the season to be jolly or not. And so what we find is during the Christmas season is that it, it, things are highlighted. For one, one thing about Christmas is it highlights how quickly time passes. If you're a parent, you can remember when the, you pull out a, a, an ornament, you can remember when your little one put that on the tree and now they're off living on their own. Or you, when, it's funny, when you're younger, time passes really slow. When you get older, it moves faster than you want it to. But Christmas is always a reminder of that. 
And so again, that, that can pull on, on our emotions. Christmas highlights the, the changes that have taken place. The people that are not here. You know, we bring the same, often the same decorations out. We bring the same things out. And so it begins to highlight how things have changed. Who's not here? A grandfather who was missing his, 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 uh, his wife decided that this shopping for Christmas was just going to be too difficult this year. So instead of buying gifts, he decided he was going to send all his loved ones a check. So he sat down and he wrote a card and it said, buy your own present. And he mailed them early. Then he got caught up in all the family stuff and all the flurry of activities, but he noticed he got very few responses to the card. And uh, he thought, I-, I need to find out what's going on. So he went up into his study and as he was clearing off his cluttered desk, the answer to the problem became evident. Much to his horror, underneath a stack of papers was a, a stack of the checks that he had intended to put in the Christmas cards. <laughs> so all his loved ones got a card that said, buy your own present. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> You know, one of, the, one of the things that you notice, especially during that Christmas season, is it becomes painfully aware of the people who are not here. And everyone remembers who's not here. And that can go from the, the death of a loved one. You feel it especially at Christmas season. Or it can also just be empty nesters. Last year, Joy and I had no one, no one with us for Christmas. They were all with us for Thanksgiving, Everyone felt like they had to go to their in-laws. I don't know why, but they all left. And they went to their in-laws. And, and Joy and I woke up on Christmas. There is no pitter-patter of little feet. There's no Christmas smell. We kind of hung out in our sweatpants and sweat clothes all day long, ate sandwiches. And the tendency to be a little sad entered in, but of course, I'm looking at Joy going, hey, baby, you got, you got me, huh? <laughs> Don't, don't do that. That, that. that does not work. <laughs> but, what, but what does happen is sometimes you can get so caught up mourning the ones who are gone that you miss the ones who are here. And it's just a, a time to remember that we have to celebrate and rejoice of the ones that we do have, have with us. Christmas is a time also where the media hammers us with the message that everyone is happy except you. Everyone is happy. Every kiss begins with K. Every hallmark always ends well. I would just like for one hallmark to end horribly. I would just, I would feel, I would feel so much better. It's like, oh, there's a surprise. They didn't like each other and the whole town blew up. Okay. It's a little tougher, but the, the media message is if you're alone on Christmas, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to say something. I want to be real clear on this. Guys, don't, don't overhype Christmas. They're finding out now that the post-Christmas depression is, is direct correlation to how much you build it up. And if we remember that Christmas still, I know it's about family, I know it's about gifts, I know it's about, but really it's still about the fact that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that's true. And that's, and that's true on December 25th and December 26th and December 27th. And I don't believe that heaven stops just because it's Christmas. 
I believe heaven keeps going. And so does life. So God's plan, this morning, as I'm talking, I hope you hear my heart on this. God's plan is not that you live in continual sadness. His plan is that sadness and sorrow would be temporary in your life. There's a verse here in, in, in the Psalms that says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, whether that, that's, that's actual or a metaphor, it still speaks to the idea that weeping is not to be over and over and over again. But there should be a time when joy begins to come in our lives. We're not meant to live in perpetual sadness. Carissa Smith is a, was a new mother who was pushing her little four-year-old, four, excuse me, four-month-old daughter around a library looking at the books when she heard a gruff voice saying, you better tell that kid to shut up or I will. Little four-month-old was making baby noises. Now, telling a baby to shut up is a huge mistake on a first-time mother. And Carissa went off on this guy. She found this gruff-looking older man sitting down, and she looked at him. She said, let me tell you something. She said, I don't know what's ever happened in your life that, that disturbs you about the sounds of a happy baby. She said, but I'm not going to tell him to, her to shut up, and neither are you. And she kind of braced herself for the backlash. And, and the man looked down for a little bit. Finally, he said very softly, I apologize. And he looked at the little baby and she looked at him and smiled and cooed. He looked up at, at Carissa. She, he said, I, I lost my two-month-old son. It sits. And Carissa sat down and heard that 50 years ago, he'd lost his baby. She said, tell me about your, your son. And he told her about how the son had been the joy of their life and the, and the child had died. And how the, the grief and the anger overwhelmed him to the place that it ruined a marriage and isolated him in his life. As he was talking to Carissa, he's looking at her little baby, her little baby girl who's smiling and laughing. Finally asked, he said, can I hold her? And Carissa gave the little baby to him and he held her and she said his shoulders relaxed and he held the baby and put his cheek over on her head. Then he handed her back, and with tears in her eyes, he gave her a heartfelt thank you and went on. Two things about that story really speak to me. One was a mother's compassion. But the second thing was the fact that 50 years in sadness had taken its toll. We're not meant to live in perpetual sadness. We're not meant to live sad. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy can come in the morning. And that God's plan for his children is that you don't continually live sad. There's an interesting verse in, in the Bible where God is talking to Samuel, the prophet. He says this in 1 Samuel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel had a relationship with Saul that went really wrong. Samuel had been a mentor in his life and an important figure in Saul's life. Saul was the first king of Israel. But Saul spurned Samuel's advice. He spurned his counsel. He disobeyed God and he lost the kingdom. And Samuel had been mourning and praying and asking God to change it. And God finally asked Samuel, 
how long are you going to mourn? This is a situation God had already spoken. He said his kingdom is gone. In other words, this is a situation that is not going to be reversed. But then he gives Samuel something to do. In other words, God didn't want Samuel to stay in a place of mourning. He said, I want you to do something, Samuel. I want you to fill your horn with oil and go. The oil was the anointing oil. and He was sending Samuel to Jesse's house. And so his, his action steps were to get Samuel out of mourning and get him going towards doing something else, God's new plan. And in doing that, I do like that, just as a side note, I thought it's interesting how God said, fill your horn with oil. And I thought about, you know, our God does everything to the full. When Jesus helped Peter in his fishing business, he filled the fishing boats so both of them began to sink. Jesus said, he said he wanted us to have life and have it more abundantly. God's plan is that we have fullness of joy, fullness of peace, that we'll be full of his spirit and full of grace and full of wisdom. God doesn't do anything halfway. Thank God he does it to the full. Fill your horn with oil and go. And then God had another plan for Samuel. God had another plan for Israel. Samuel was stuck in the past thinking this is God's only way of doing something. And God said, oh no, you think I've run out of ideas. I got a plan. I got a king. He's going to be the best king. He gave Samuel just enough to go on, but the plan would wind up being King David. And King David was the best king that Israel ever had. God can do things to the full. How long will you mourn, Samuel? Fill your horn with oil. And go. How long is that? This Christmas season, you may be going through some things, and I hope you hear my heart on this. I know there are people here who've recently lost loved ones, who've done funerals. I, I, am I saying that you can't be sad? No, no, not at all. That's, that's just part of life. We understand that. But what I'm saying is, I don't want to see you stay that way. See, there are some things in life that, that simply we're not going to be able to change. They're not going to be reversed. There are things that happen in life and they cause sadness. But if we stay in sadness, what we find out, it's not changing anything. It's not altering anything or changing what's happened if we constantly stay sad. And it's not helping you or helping someone else if you're just overwhelmed with it and perpetually sad. You see, we, we had, can't just think about us. We have other people to think about. My sister lost her 16-year-old son. She had one son. Lost him to cancer when he was 16 years old. I was extremely concerned about her. And I remember talking to her because I was actually concerned that my sister would take her life. She was divorced. She didn't have anything. Life had just been hard for my sister. But I remember looking at her, and I told him, I said, Leslie, I said, it's not going to honor him if you take your life, that's not going to be the best way to honor him. I said, the best way you can honor him is to live a life that honors his memory. I said, and to live a life that honors God. And thank God, my sister turned back to God and has continued. She never did take her life and has reached out to others and has been a blessing to others. Listen, when, by saying, I'm not going to be sad anymore, we're not dishonoring the ones who aren't here with us. What we're actually doing is saying, I'm going to go on and I'm going to honor your memory with me being full of joy because that's a blessing to other people. And then I don't get overwhelmed or swallowed up with sadness. Look at this verse here. Paul was talking to the church. He said, so on the contrary, 
you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, talking about an individual in the church, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. I remember early on in the, in, the, in the days of the ark when we were over in the roller rink, I'd met a lady who was new to the church. She came in, she was a fairly young lady, but she seemed like she just wore sadness like a cloak. She was just such a sad person. And I was talking to her and, and she began to tell the story about she had lost her husband. Okay, well now I understand. And, I, and I was, as I'm talking to her, I'm thinking, man, this is last year or recently. I said, when did, when, when did this happen? She said, she started counting back. She said it was 12 years ago. And I thought, 12 years. Sorrow has swallowed her up. And that's not the intent. That's not God's intent. He was a believer. She's going to see him again in heaven. It's not God's intent that you stay swallowed up with sorrow. So what, what do I do? You say, well, Alan, I've had sorrows been in my life a long time. Is, is that bad? Am I wrong? No, no, listen, listen to my heart here. It's not, it's, it's not wrong to be in sorrow, but God has a better way for you. And it's a way out because, quite honestly, sorrow, there's two good reasons that you want to get out of sorrow. First one is this. It, it actually weakens you. The Bible says this in Nehemiah 8.10. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, if, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then the sorrow of the world weakens us. And the problem is, life keeps on coming. It's not like we get to say, okay, look, I'm sad now. Life, you gotta stop. No, life keeps coming. But God says, listen, if, if there's a joy there, and yet it may not be based on externals, but there's a joy that can come from our, our relationship with God, and it can strengthen us on the inside as opposed to weakness, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Paul warned the Corinthian church. He said, godly sorrow works repentance, and that's good. He said, the sorrow of the world works death. In other words, it works negative things in our life, and God doesn't want us overwhelmed with that. So he wants us to have strength. The second thing is, it's helpful for your physical health to be joyful. Look what the writer of Proverbs said. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bone. Solomon wrote numerous times, he said, a sound heart is life to the flesh. He said, by sorrow of, of heart, the spirit is broken. He said, someone who is afflicted, he said, every day is bad. He said, but someone who is a joyful heart, every day is a feast. And so it tells us that the condition of our heart not only affects our outlook, it affects our physical body. A man named Norman Cousins wrote a book a number of years ago called Anatomy of an Illness. Norman was diagnosed with a degenerative spine disease that caused amazing pain. It was hard for him to sleep and medications weren't working. There was no known cure. And so Norman Cousins had been reading a book and he'd read a book about how that if negative emotions impact adrenal exhaustion. He thought with negative emotions, stress and fear and anger, if they, if it's sadness, if they affect us negatively, then positive emotions will affect us positively. And when doctors gave up on him, he went into a motel room. He took a lot of vitamin C and he watched Candid Camera. Anybody remember Candid Camera? <laughs> he watched Candid Camera and the Marx Brothers. He liked the Marx Brothers. And he might have watched the, the Three Stooges, who I happen to think are hilarious. And he's, he's watching these guys and he, he begins to laugh. And he, he's reading stories that make him laugh. And he laughed and he laughed. He said a good belly laugh for 10 minutes would give him two hours of pain-free sleep. 
And so he, he, began to, he began to laugh. And when he came out after a month, he went back to see the doctors. He said, what have you been doing? What have you been taking? He said, nothing but vitamin C. And he began to describe to them how laughter had actually changed things. Listen, God's known this all along. A sorrowful thing can break you down on the inside. To be joyful on the inside, man, that can impact your whole body. It's for our health that God doesn't want you broken down with sorrow. Say, well, well what do I do? Do I sequester myself in a motel room and watch funny stories like have a Gary little Christmas and, and uh, all the things we got going on there? Uh, no. I don't know if that works for everybody. Maybe if you're retired, that will work. But most of us still have life going on. Okay, let me give you two things. Rejoicing and giving thanks will lift you. And you can practice that. So Alan, I don't feel like rejoicing and giving thanks. Exactly. That's why we need to do it because we don't feel like it. But if you'll begin to do it, you can begin to tap into the joy of the Lord. Maybe not joy in your circumstance, but a joy that's of the Lord that's in you that can make a difference in you. See, that, that, that can be huge. And here's, here's the third thing that will help you to keep from being overwhelmed by sorrow, how long sad, is to believe that God has a plan for you. They've done studies on people who are clinically depressed and they found that the ones who are clinically depressed but believe in a caring God that, that their rate of recovery is much higher than those who do not. When you believe that God is good, that he hasn't run out of ideas for you, that he can help you in life, when you believe that, that God cares about you, it can lift you out of sorrow. It can, it can shorten the time frame that sorrow is a dominant force in your life. In Psalm 16, 11, it's one of my favorite Psalms. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God will show you. I love that verse. I pray that verse a lot with people. They'll come down and they'll say, Alan, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do about my family situation. I don't know what to do about my job situation. I don't know what to do about my own personal situation. Alan, what do I do? I said, I believe that God can show you a path of life. He can show you a way out. Whatever it is that's plaguing your life, God's got a way out. Now, you're going to have to walk it. He'll show you the path you have to walk out. When Joy was so sick a number of years ago, she began praying, and God gave her the idea of going and visiting a lady. And so she found a lady in a government housing area, and she would go, in, and this lady was on oxygen. She was dying, but Joy said she was, the, she was the most grateful person she'd ever met. And when Joy would go see her, she said it would lift her spirits away. That's the path of life. When my daughter was so despondent, she had an engagement break off right at Christmas time. And she was so despondent for a long time. We were concerned about her. But God began to show her a path of life and it was so simple. She began to bake cookies for people here in the church. And they were good cookies. Real good cookies. But you think, what, baking cookies? Yeah, but, but getting outside of yourself and doing something for someone else was a path of life. How do, we, how, do we come, how, how, do we, how do we come out of sorrow? When we connect with God, when we come closer to him, then in his presence, it's not anguish. In his presence is joy. In his presence is comfort. In his presence is peace. Alan Golding was a, a missionary to the Philippines. He said he and his his family one time took a, took a break from the missionary work and they went to a place called Bagayo City and they began to 
to visit the city, very beautiful city. He said, but they found a place called the St. Louis Silversmith School where they taught and trained young people to be silversmiths. So they took a tour of it. It was beautiful. He said the, the exquisite designs and all the things they did. And when they left, took the tour, they left, they went out through a gift shop. And Alan Golden said he found this really beautiful silver, it was a, a, a money clip. He said he bought that money clip and he carried it for 24 years. He said one day he was putting some bills in it and it broke in half. He really loved that money clip. So he actually took it back to the St. Louis Silversmith School. And he walked in, he said, and he, he met a workman there who was about his age. Alan explained what was going on and then handed the two pieces into the workman's hands. The workman held him, he looked at him. He looked up at Alan, he said, uh, I made this clip. He said, this is my design. I made all of these that were made. This is for me. And Alan looked at him and he said, can you fix it? And the workman looked back at him and said, I designed it. I made it. Of course I can fix it. God designed you. God made you. He knows what it takes to fix you. And if you'll just simply come close to him, he's got answers. It's not his plan that you live in sadness. Bow your head for a minute. I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I, I first just simply wanted to pray for those of you who have just been swallowed up in sadness. Heavenly Father, I, I pray this morning that my words, hopefully inspired by you, would minister today. That all of us would recognize that as a loving Father, it's never your plan that we live in sadness. And Father, I pray for those who've absolutely been swallowed up by it. Those who the Christmas season causes such a rush of emotions. Those who have recently lost loved ones. Father, I, I ask for your comfort. I ask for your peace. I ask for your grace and your mercy and your hope that will rise up in their hearts that life can be different, that life can be better, that there is a path of life. I thank you for that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're here this morning and said, you know what, I, Alan, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with the Lord, but I want to be. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, I once had a relationship with God and I've gotten so far away from him and I, I so want to come back. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to ask that you stand up. I'm not going to ask that you come to the front. Our purpose is never to embarrass you. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you this morning. You say, Alan, I, I want to be sure that I have a relationship with the Lord or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? I need you to just real quickly shoot your hand up across this auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, Alan, that, that's me. Would you pray for me? Yes, way in the back. I got you. Thanks. Anyone else? Great. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your humility. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Heads are bowed still. Eyes are closed. If you lifted your hand, or maybe you didn't lift your hand, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I wanted to do that. God sees hands. He also sees hearts. You can pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray it out loud with you as a church family. Pray it so you can hear yourself. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. 
I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. I just still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Father, thank you that they've come out of darkness into light for those who've come home and for those who've come back. We rejoice with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.